Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess this morning that we need you, that we need you every day, that we need your help, even your help to bow the knee as we just heard a minute ago. We need you in these moments as we hear from your word. We need attentive hearts and minds. We need your spirit to speak clearly to us. I need your spirit to speak clearly through me. And we pray, God, that you would continue this thing that you're doing, this wonderful ministry that you have to us. For the sake of your glory, we pray. Amen. What is the opposite of peace? At face value, the answer might seem obvious. I mean, most things have a single clear opposite. We tend to think of the world in dualistic categories like that. Happy, opposite is sad. And fast, and the opposite is slow. Black, and the opposite is white. Sweet, and the opposite is sour. But when it comes to peace, what is the opposite condition? War is the opposite of peace. Worry is the opposite of peace. Anxiety seems like it's the opposite of peace. Relational strife feels like it's the opposite of peace. Chaos is the opposite of peace. Perpetual guilt seems like it's the opposite of peace. Peace is not quite so simple. And true peace, because it has so many factors opposing it, seems to be elusive. It's underappreciated and it's undervalued until you've lived a long time without it and then seen or tasted just glimpses of it. English author H.G. Wells once said, here I am at, 60, at age 65, still looking for peace. And he's certainly not alone. In his book, Worry Less, Live More, Robert Morgan illustrates the fact that many in society are very conscious of their lack of peace or of their anxiety. He highlights that, something you already know, I'm sure, Amazon is keeping track of you. And they track your highlights when you read an ebook on your Kindle or other device. And so when you mark a sentence, the online retailer knows about it and they note it and they study it. And a handful of years ago, Amazon released a list of the most popular passages in some of its best selling books, such as The Hunger Games or the Harry Potter series, Pride and Prejudice. And it also released the most highlighted passage in the Bible. Now, you might expect that the biblical portion to be highlighted the most would be something like John 3.16 or maybe Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, or maybe the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter 6. But no, it was a much less prominent text, but it's one that's striking a deep chord in today's world that lacks peace. It was Philippians chapter 4, 
verses 6 and 7, which is part of our text today. And so I want to ask you to read with me, and we're going to read the whole text, Philippians 4. We're going to start at chapter, or verse 2, and read through verse 9. But when we get to verse 6 and 7, you'll see why this is one of the most highlighted passages in our time. This is what Paul writes. He says, I entreat Uadia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Peace. The peace of God and the God of peace. And in Philippians chapter 4, we see some exhortations for those who struggle to find peace that this peace of God can be theirs, it can be yours. And Paul addresses the peace of God in three categories of life, in the category of relationships, in the category of your circumstances, and in the category of your mind. And first, we see in this category of relationships, in verses two through three, he highlights an exhortation for two women for the rest of the church to see, Euadia and Syntyche. They'd been in disagreement for some time. Now, Usually in the Bible when there are names of people that we don't know, none of the major characters, the apostles or the Lord or the prophets of old, it's usually either really good, <laughs> like Timothy and Epaphroditus, these are examples to follow, or usually not so good. But this one feels a little bit different. Because there's a warmth toward these two women, even though their quarrel seems to remain. Now, I know that it might come as a surprise to you, and I know that it's probably outside of your personal experience, but sometimes people in the church don't get along. <laughs> I know. I mean, in all seriousness, we, we don't experience a ton of that in our congregation, at least during this season. Thank you. Thank you. 
But there are a number of absurd things that people fight about in the church. And here are a few of the favorites that I've heard of and some of which I've experienced. Like arguments over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard (laughs) or the senior pastor's hair. Fighting over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice by mistake one week instead of grape juice. Arguments of whether or not the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meeting. And of course... Coffee. Very passionate people about coffee. What kind? How much? Where should it be consumed? There's always something to argue about. Now, we don't know the nature of the conflict between these two women, but we can derive that a number of things from the passage will help us to understand the charge that Paul gives to them. First, we see that Paul entreats them He's not heavy-handed in this instance. He begs them to pursue unity. Secondly, we know that they are believers. And he calls the other believers to come around side of these believers. They've labored in the gospel together. He says that their names are written in the book of life. So these aren't wolves in sheep's clothing. These aren't just cantankerous people. These are dear sisters who are loved, who are fellow Christians, who can't seem to get along. And more importantly, we see that the disagreement between these two women is not one of a deep theological nature. Paul has been vehemently guarding against false teaching and false doctrine in the church. He's commanded believers to distance themselves from those who teach false doctrine. And he is not calling them to put aside the truth just for relationship. No, this, this is the kind of interpersonal disagreement between two people that has challenged the harmony and unity of the church family, but it need not do so. Now, we have seen disagreements like this today, don't we? Sometimes we sin against each other. Other times there's unintentional hurts or misunderstandings that happen. And still sometimes there's just disagreements that are based on personal preference. It's no thus saith the Lord issue. It's no biblical command. It's I like it this way and you like it that way. And we can joke about such things, of course. But we know, we know that ongoing disagreements in the life of the church hinder peace. And so the charge that Paul gives to these two women is very specific in its nature. I entreat these two women, he says, to agree in the Lord. That's not merely a Christian cliche, to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord means to adopt a mental attitude that moves in the same direction as other Believers, the same aim, the same orientation. To agree in the Lord means to adopt a gospel orientation. 
When you find yourself in a disagreement or the victim of hurt or your preference not being met, look at the circumstance and ask yourself, what is the representation of the gospel and what best advances the gospel? And seek to agree in the Lord. It's a very simple, direct exhortation. (laughs) You know it's more difficult when your feelings are attached to it. And nevertheless, Paul says that you can have peace, the peace of God in your relationships if God is at the center of those relationships and you're pursuing agreement in the Lord. Secondly, we see that you can have peace, the peace of God, in your circumstances. Let me remind you, and this was that passage that was highlighted uh, by Amazon, starting at verse 6, but I'll start at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, because the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Perhaps one of the most difficult things for a Christian is to have the peace of God in the midst of the difficulties of life. However difficult it is, you need to know that it is possible. That you can have the peace of God in the greatest difficulties of life. And Paul gives us a glimpse as to how that happens. Some of us look at verse 4 that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And we think to ourselves, Well, that sounds really nice, (laughs) but it's completely an unattainable goal. We think to ourselves, more cynically perhaps, yeah, right. He clearly doesn't understand the dynamics of my marriage. Or doesn't appreciate the stress I'm under at work. Or it's easy to say rejoice in the Lord, but I have bills to pay by the end of the month and I'm not exactly sure where the money is coming from. But Paul commands here, he commands us to make a choice. A choice to rejoice in God regardless of how well things are going for you. The choice to rejoice in the Lord is self-evident in some ways for the believer of Jesus. Because after all, the gospel points us to the greatest threat to our life, the threat of hell, as something that has already been dealt with on behalf of the believer. At the very least, there's rejoicing in that. But notice the specific wording. Rejoice in the Lord. The issue... It's not the style of your rejoicing, though I'm sure we could have some disagreements about that. The issue is the ground of your rejoicing. The reason why you can rejoice. We choose to rejoice in the Lord. Now that's important to grasp 
as a pattern of your life because the opposite pattern is what we are all tempted to all the time. We regularly choose to rejoice because of our circumstances. I rejoice because things are going so well for me. But here's the thing. When you have peace with God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can have the peace of God in your circumstances as you look to him. Let me say that one more time because it's really important. When you have peace with God, you can have the peace of God. When you have peace with God because of the gospel, you can have the peace of God regardless of your circumstances. You're no longer beholden to your circumstances. You're no longer beholden to your emotions. You experience true peace. And so the charge to rejoice in the Lord comes from a man who's in prison. (laughs) He shows by his very life that there is a way to live above your circumstances. You don't let your circumstances dictate your joy. Let the Lord himself be the object of your joy. Then you have a totally different vehicle to travel through the circumstances of life. The Old Testament prophet Nehemiah knew what Paul knew when he said, the joy of the Lord is my strength in Nehemiah chapter 8. This is not simply a piece of helpful advice to navigate your life. He actually gives you a command. And if there's a command to rejoice, there is a command that has obedience as its possible outcome. The reason it's possible to be obedient to this command is precisely because the object of your joy doesn't change. (laughs) The Lord himself does not change. And therefore, you can always rejoice in him. The second part of the charge to rejoice is a charge that's related to your reputation. I wonder what you want to be known for. When people take a step back and think about how they might describe you, how would they describe you? And what do you want to be known for? It's a big question. We should probably think about that for a while. Because we all go through life consciously or subconsciously wanting to be known for something. What do you want to be known for? Competent person at your job? Faithful spouse or parent? Person who has nice things? Person who's the life of the party and knows how to have fun? Person who is kind? Verse 5, Paul says, 
let your reasonableness be known to all. (laughs) That's another way of saying, be known as a person who's reasonable. Another translation translates that same word, gentle. Let your gentleness be known to all. Because the world has enough hard-headed people. There's no shortage of aggressive men and women. There are always those who are in the midst of disagreement will resort to personal attack or in the midst of difficult situations or circumstances will choose to act harshly. Jesus describes himself this way when he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is important because there are some today, even some in corners of American Christianity who pride themselves on just the opposite of this. Some who laud courage as the greatest of Christian virtues. And you will hear things like or see actions like, we need to exercise courage to stand up for the truth. Courage to stand up for the feminists. Courage to save the nation. And the vehicle for my courage is Twitter. Courage to fight back against the liberals. Courage for all you wet, ninny, soft, evangelical Christians. And their actions are defined by anger, aggression, and almost always what they are against rather than what they're for. Now, I am not saying, (laughs) I, I shouldn't even have to qualify this, but I'm going to. I am not saying that we shouldn't exercise courage. Friends, courage is required. Life is hard. Dark forces are in our midst. We absolutely need to be courageous people to do hard things. But Paul indicates that there is a way to do it. And that way is in gentleness or reasonableness, he says in this passage. And there is a reason to do it this way. There is a reason for your reasonableness. And it's a phrase that should stop you. It stops me every time I read it. He says, for the Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone For the Lord is at hand. He is near. He is the source of joy. He is the reason you can stand firm in the midst of difficulty. His providential care is enacted as the world unfolds in and around you. Regardless of the circumstances, his divine power and his infinite knowledge indicate that nothing escapes his view or his grasp. The Lord is at hand. And 
he will be returning in glory soon. Therefore, as long as it's up to you, be known as a person who is reasonable and gentle. So if the object of joy or rejoicing in this life is the Lord himself, and this Lord does not change, then the circumstances around you as they do change and stress and anxiety begin to overtake you, the question arises, well, where do you turn? If your gaze has been fixed on your circumstances, if your gaze has been fixed on yourself and what you think or how you feel in those moments, then it will be incredibly difficult for you to experience the peace of God in your life. If, however, your gaze is fixed on the one who represents stability, then you will be able to rejoice in the Lord and to experience the peace of God. Now, I wonder if you've ever been airsick or seasick. Pretty miserable feeling for those of you that experienced it. I um, have been both, sadly. And the older I get, the more prone I am. There's a lot of things that start to stink when you reach your mid-40s. That's one of them. But when you're on a boat and you're on that slow up and down drift and stuff starts to happen on the inside and the nausea begins to churn a little bit, there's always the same piece of advice that you get. Look at the horizon line. Look at the horizon line. The line does not move. And it helps in some ways to reset your senses. The horizon line. The world feels like it's moving out of control. When you look to the horizon, you fix your gaze at it. It has an incredibly calming effect. Look to the horizon, the captain says and things will stabilize. Friends, that's the same that's true in this life. When multiple unwanted factors enter into your life, stress, anxiety begin to rule, you feel the seasickness of life that's about to take hold in you, you look to that which is immovable. The horizon, the horizon line is the Lord himself. And the way that you do that, Paul says, is through prayer. In verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. My stress is high at work. I turn to the horizon. Turn to the Lord in prayer. My marriage is difficult. Life is hard Live above your circumstances and pray and rely on God. My kids are making bad choices. You turn and you pray to the one who has taken care of your greatest need. Surely he will care for these other needs. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Jesus says in John 16, these things have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. 
I have overcome the world. You can have the peace of God when God comes into your circumstances. And verse 7 says of this text, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God rests where the rule of God is present. The peace of God rests where the God of peace reigns. In all the pockets and the areas of your life. And so we've talked about relationships, the peace of God in your relationship, the peace of God in your circumstances. And now Paul moves lastly to think about peace in a very unique way. And this is the peace of God in your mind. Look at it with me. Finally, brothers, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, think. <laughs> think about these things because the battle for your mind is very, very strong. And you need to know that when you let the things of God into your mind, the result will be a peace of mind. For so many years, the question was, what do you think about? Which is still a really important question. But now I fear that in our time, there's an even more basic question. And the basic question is, are you allowing yourself time to think at all? <laughs> Why would I ask that? Well, we all know that statistics can be used to say a wide variety of things and twisted along multiple axes. However, they can be helpful to illustrate the human condition. Recent studies, as recently as just a couple weeks ago, indicate that the average American spends one to four hours a day watching television. And good news, that number is less than it used to be. One to four hours a day. However, we know that smartphone usage has long overtaken television consumption and over 70% of digital media is consumed on smartphones. That means the average American spends three to five hours a day on their smartphones with over 70 plus percent of Americans owning them. So you start to do the math, one to four hours on TV, three to five hours on smartphones. One statistic says that the majority of us check our phones up to 96 times a day. That's 10 to 12 times an hour, or maybe once every six minutes. Forbes recently reported that we are exposed to somewhere between 4,000 and 10,000 advertisements per day across all forms and media platforms. We don't recognize all of them, of course. We ignore up to 75% of them, but we're overwhelmed, inundated with the amount of information and exposure. And the first question becomes when you even start to consider all of those things is, are you allowing yourself time to think? 
about anything beyond what's on the screen? To really consider important things? If you want a peace of mind, Paul says, think. (laughs) And don't just think about anything. Don't just fall prey to the trap of thinking about the next thing that you see or the next thing that will entertain you or the next thing that will comfort you, but think about these things, he says. And then he gives this six thought patterns that invite the peace of God into your mind. Just very quickly, let's look at them. Things to think about, whatever is true. We all know that there's different perspectives and cultural narratives today that would say you can't really know what's true. And yet, as Christians, we recognize the truth that begins with the divinity of God and emanates from him. He is the truth. Jesus embodied the truth. He said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. His written word communicates truth in ways that we can understand. Jesus says in John 17, 17, your word is truth, talking about the word of the Father. And so we let the true things of God be the lenses for life, and we think about that. He says, whatever is honorable, to be honorable is something of moral excellence that promotes a dignified life. Our culture has shifted in some ways, many ways, but one of those ways is that a dignified life, dignity used to be a cultural value. (laughs) It's not a cultural value in the same way that it once was. And yet, Paul says, think about what is honorable or dignified or promotes dignity. He says, whatever is just, justice and righteousness go hand in hand. They're attributes of God. Our call to be just or to think about what is just is rooted in who God is. And so there is a sense in which being righteous or just is simply doing and thinking about what is right, (laughs) not what is wrong or sinful or errant. Whatever is pure, which means something, think about things that are not tainted with evil. This refers to sexual purity, but also more generally to words and actions. Whatever is lovely, to be lovely is to put forward what is attractive. Attractive morally, attractive aesthetically, lovely. Think on these things. Whatever is commendable, virtuous conduct that other people speak highly of. Your reputation in that way. So six patterns of thought. And he summarizes them with these two more descriptors. If there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And when you practice these things, not just think about them, this leads to the God of peace being with you, he says in verse 9. You see the point, right? The peace of God rests where the God of peace reigns. If the God of peace reigns in your relationships, you will have the peace of God. If the God of peace reigns in your circumstances, regardless how good or bad, you will have the peace of God. If the God of peace reigns in your mind, you will have the peace of God. And all of this assumes, of course, that you have peace 
with God. The peace of God comes only after you have peace with God, and that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, time escapes us. We could talk a lot more, especially about the mind, about what does this mean for what you watch? What does this mean for what you read? What does this mean for the things that you engage proactively with on an ongoing basis? What do they make you think about? There are certain movies I won't watch because it makes me think about things that I don't want to think about. There's certain television shows I won't watch because the language makes me think about things I don't want to think about. <laughs> There's a ton of books I won't read because they will make me think about things that I don't want to think about. Things that will not give me a peace of mind. Things that don't illustrate the reigning of the God of peace. And all of us have to navigate life in that kind of way. Now, don't lose the point, though. You need peace with God before you can have the peace of God. I think about the man who's been in an automobile accident and his leg is twisted out of his socket and his bone is broken and he tells the doctor, give me a sedative quickly so that I can be at peace and rest. I want to sleep. Just give me the drug and go away and leave me. What a fool that man would be. No man in his right mind would say such a thing and yet millions are seeking some opiate of peace without righteousness. The doctor needs to set the fracture, put the leg back in its socket, then nature will take its course and he will know healing and peace. It's certainly this way in the sequence of God's dealing with humans. God will simply not allow any person to know true peace until that person first possesses God's forgiveness and righteousness. One reason for terrible frustration of humankind, the endless search for peace, is that peace and joy are sought without God's righteousness. But without the righteousness of God, there can be no peace. And without the peace of God, there can be no joy. But peace with God leads to the peace of God in your life. And the peace of God, when that becomes your reality, God reigns in your relationships, in your circumstances, and even in your mind. What's the opposite of peace? War, worry, chaos, anxiety, relational strife, guilt. No wonder we need to address the issues of peace comprehensively. But friend, when God reigns in your life, in all of the areas of your life, his peace will rest over all of the areas of your life. And then, and then, and then you can live from today all the way to the day of your death. And no matter what happens to you out of your control or even some mistakes that you make within your control, you still can experience peace. I close with this. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. And on the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. He had seen what the chamber is like 
when someone is moving toward their death. And yet, Nicholas declined the offer. And he replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as ever. As ever as he did in his whole life. Because he knew the peace of God. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord. And so can you. Because the peace of God rests where the God of peace reigns. So let him reign in your relationships. Let him reign in your circumstances. Let his rule and reign be present even in your mind. And you will have peace. Let's pray. Father, we need peace. It is elusive for some of us. We invite your rule and reign. We bow the knee and we pray that indeed your kindness and blessing, your grace and mercy will be upon us. That your unchanging character and nature, that your promises and your love would be things that we meditate on that the horizon line of stability would be ever before us and that your peace would be upon us. Amen.